0: Welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. And today we have an old friend back, Kyle. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Good to be back. Uh, Pretty excellent. Last time we spoke, you were like... uh, Oh, my pleasure. Last time we spoke, uh, you kind of blew my mind. It was like, uh, how many agents work with you? And you said zero. And how many transactions do you do in that year? It was last year. It was 500. Uh, Still on pace to do that? How's the market change for you?
1: So this year, the market's definitely very different. Uh, We've got a super different market in the sense that we have – a lot of a lack of inventory. There's very limited inventory here where we are. So what you're seeing is you're, you're seeing a much harder market to navigate through. So it's, it's definitely swayed the numbers a little bit. Um, but systems and process and and staffing and everything is on point for when things come back to normal. So really ready to go, probably in the best position I've ever been as far as ready to rock and roll when, when things kind of hit normalcy.
0: So what kind of reduction are you seeing in the market right now? It's like a 20% more or less?
1: 30 30 to 40.
0: 30 to 40. Okay. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All right. So one of the things I wanted to talk about today was negotiation because uh, everybody knows the the word, but they don't really know how to do it. And everyone uses the uh, cliche, it's got to be a win-win solution. And so let's talk about uh, what are the common, well, how do you define negotiations first? And then we'll kind of dig deeper into the topic.
1: So I don't think <clears throat> I don't think per se negotiations have to be a win-win for everyone. I think at the end of the day, um, I'm going to nego- I think it's very simple, right? So if I'm going to sell a property, there's a price I'm willing to sell it for, right? So I'm willing to sell you a property for $10. Right. That's my number that I'm willing to sell it for, right? And if I'm willing to buy it for $7, but they're willing to sell it for $10. At some point there's got to be some point where the buyer or seller says this deal's never coming go, going to come to fruition. So, I think the art of negotiation is understanding that the seller has a, a number in their mind and the buyer has a number in their mind and it's more about the art of trying to understand what that number is and how to get to that number in a way. So, almost looking at the seller and saying, "Okay, as a seller, I'm assuming they're looking to get X." based on their sale price or their listing price. Mm. Therefore, as a buyer, I need to get me, if I'm willing to pay X, I need to start at, at Y and try to get as close to X as I can. Hopefully they'll come off their number. But I think if you go in thinking you're going to bully the situation or you're going to go in there and you're going you're gonna to prove from your negotiation skills that you can get the seller to accept a certain number, I think it becomes counterintuitive and it doesn't actually get the result we're looking for. So you have to actually understand um, on be aware of what the situation is, right? How long has the property or how long has the business been on the market? How much activity is there on the business? What is the overall stance of the seller? Is there a dire need to sell? Is there a, is there a circumstance that's forcing a sale? So you have to be aware of what's going on to be able to negotiate in a way that's going to be, that's going to actually be successful.
0: Okay. That's fair. So let me, uh, set the question up, uh, like this, if I ask the average person, you know, when you're looking for a new job, uh, what's the most important thing that you look at? It's like salary. I need to make sure I get paid this amount. And you say, okay, how important is the uh, the team that you work with? Well, that's really important. Uh, how important is you know having a good boss? How important is learning? And oftentimes, money comes down to number eight in the list. And there's things that are more important, but the initial reaction is price is the most important thing that I'm looking for, the wages. So I hear from realtors that, you know, there was like four offers came in and they accepted the third offer that wasn't the highest, but they had a good vibe with the family. So sometimes there's other things that play other than the number. So A, do you find that to be true? And B, if it is, how do you discover that stuff that's underneath the surface that might be important to the seller?
1: So I think at the end of the day, the, those, those are what we call contingencies. Those different contingencies in the offer are very important, right? It's not always down to what price, what price is the is the buyer willing to pay. That's that's one component, and that's always not the most important component. What is the viability and ability of the buyer to actually close? Right? What is the viability of right. the buyer to actually get this to a closing table? And, and actually sign off on the dotted line. Secondly is how fast or slow is that going to take me to get to that finish line? Third of all, how much skin will the buyer have in the game from the sense of a deposit? And then fourth, most importantly, is what type of financing is this person utilizing that's going to get them to that point, right? So if it's a buyer, that's going and putting a low low down payment program, the thought of them getting there and the amount of hurdles is much stronger Than the cash buyer. Therefore, my negotiation ability in that situation is lower. I have a lesser chance to become successful negotiating when I have a much lower, a a much lower baseline as far as my strength of offer, my strength of deposit and my time to close. So I think when I look at this thing, I say, okay, at the end of the day, negotiation is all encompassing purchase price, sale price, deposit, closing date, Um, The uh, uh, contingencies, inspections, appraisal contingency. Is there a gap in there? Are we waiving inspections? Are are they willing to pick up the seller's closing costs? What types of things is this buyer willing to do that's actually going to make the seller's transaction smoother and happen in a a faster period?
0: Love that. And uh, a lot of it's uh, about mindset of uh, the negotiator. Sometimes the enemy ends up being us and we don't negotiate the level we want. But before we go into that kind of side of the conversation, if you're ready one to, one to let sponsors. go of anxiety, let go of uncertainty, let go of doubt, Mindset Boosters gives you the ability to decide how you act and feel in any situation. Ready to take charge of your mindset? Go to mindsetboosters.com. So, Kyle, you uh, probably interact with a lot of realtors. So, I yeah. do how do you gauge the mindset? Like, There's probably some people that are better negotiators than you. Uh, what, are they, what are they doing differently? And there's probably some that have the potential, but whatever reason, their mindset stops them from, uh, like a good example is sales. Let me set it up first. It turns out in sales that most people after the initial meeting, try one more attempt to connect with the person when data shows that it's five additional contacts after you made the proposal to get the sale over the line in traditional sales outside of real estate. But most people give up after one interaction. So it's all about mindset. So how does mindset play a role in negotiations?
1: Mindset is bigger than a term that we all throw around and we feel like, wow, I have, a, I have an abundancy mindset. I have a scarcity mindset. I have mm. a strong mindset. Mindset is a way of life. And what I mean by that is how you do one thing is how you do anything and transferable skills on one thing can transfer to something else. So it comes down to a personality trait in the sense that that salesperson is a hit it and quit it. That salesperson is someone that wants a fast resolution. That salesperson is someone that wants to um, get in and get out in the sense that they want to make sure that that one phone call is make and there's no follow up. They don't have. They don't essentially have that ability to have the support and system in place to have the follow up necessary to become successful to the utmost power. So I think the mindset must be of one of abundancy, that there's an abundant right. op- opportunity. Number two of almost a, 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 a knack of continuous pursuit of anything at all costs possible. And what I mean by that is at the end of the day, you will pursue that sale until they tell you to die, until they tell you to leave them alone <laughs> or until they leave the number and that's I think the that's, water out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a mentality that at the end of the day you have to have as a salesperson if you want to get to that highest level. And I think the objection of no is just another number and you have to take that no and that number and you move on to the next. So I think for at the end of the day it's really really important that you um that you implement a, a mindset that is almost no-holds-barred and a mindset that is continually, continually uh, focused on, um, on, on not only growing, but battling through adversity, continuing to battle through adversity and continue to follow up and continue to try to be better today than yesterday. So I think that salesperson has to have that no-limit mindset, almost limitless in, in a sense.
0: Yeah, I was watching this uh, TV show. It was uh, Queen of the South. And there's this uh, one character, uh, the heroine, I forget her name, uh, uh, Camilla Vargas, gives us this dress to go into this really fancy party. And as they're walking in, uh, the woman turns to our hero and goes, Don't let the dress wear you. Wear the freaking dress. Because it was very much Mm -hmm. the uh, I look the part, but I don't feel the part. I feel like a fraud. And Mm so. not taking no for an answer. There's two ways of doing that. One way is to be an asshole about it. And it's no, just like, I don't, that's, that's, that's not, not the play. Yeah, absolutely. And the intent is, you know, uh, how do I really get to the point where it's a go, no, go. And I think intent is such an important part of negotiation as well. Because some people go into the negotiations and as soon as they hear the first no is like, thank God. Okay. I tried. I'm out of here. Right. So how, how would you say you can, Train yourself to be more comfortable in those situations, uh, to take a breath and actually just experience that negotiation in a way, or that sales situation where you are, uh, more an observer than just, uh, uh, reacting to what's happening. You can uh, almost be thoughtful about it from another vantage I point. You've got to be
1: you've you got to be proactive. I think you've got to be value added, proactive, right? So you've got to make sure that you're not there just checking boxes. So what I mean by that is to your to your point, well I, I did what I needed to do. I got to know and I move on. Well that's just checking a box, right? It's all about building relationships, real estate and any sales is a contact sport. The more mm-hmm. people you contact, the better opportunities you have. And I think building the relationship and adding value to those folks is, is, is the most important thing you could possibly do. So it's adding the value by bringing something to the table outside of selling a product that right. makes that, that makes you likable, that makes you relatable, that makes these folks, whether it's now or in the future, want to do business with you. So I think that's where you can From a sales perspective, I'm not a pushy salesperson. I've never pushed anyone to anything. I want to add value to your life and give you different thought processes. I want to give you different perspectives. I want to explain how I can help you get to your ultimate goal. And whether it's now six months or six years down the road, I want to be your person for this business. Right. So that's what it ultimately comes down to. Be don't be forgettable, be unforgettable and relatable in the sense that you build a relationship that's so strong that they would not go anywhere else,
0: absolutely. And uh, you know, that's like a real estate 101, but uh, many realtors do it so badly. So, what are the five things to consider to really build that relationship? Uh, so, so I'll kick, up, kick it off. I think one of the things that there's so much data out there in real estate. Uh, that is overwhelming in some ways. So if you as the realtor can provide your client an insight, because uh, uh, you know data is data, but analysis is really important. So you can make a better decision. So you can add value in that way, it adds to the relationship. Uh, what would be some other ways to really build that bond?
1: Number one is relatability. Be relatable and understand the, the importance of becoming a chameleon when you have a client in front of you. Understand who they are, what they're about, what their principles are, what their, what their wants, needs, and desires are, and cater to that in the sense that it's genuine. Um, number, number two is take away any sort of negative mindset going into the appointment or any sort of negative mindset and have, have an open mind going into the situation.
0: Okay, hold that thought for a second. I want to backtrack to the first point you made. And I think intent is so important there is that you talked about, you know, you need to read the person, see who they are. And if your intent is to understand and to add value, uh, that builds a strong relationship. If the intent is, aha, I know how to manipulate them or take advantage of them, which some people kind of have a sense of that, uh, people can sense it. So, yeah, absolutely. Have the right intent.
1: They can see through that. Right. So as a as a consumer, you see right through that. I think intent is important. Right. I think becoming that chameleon in the sense that you're truly genuine to who you are. But at the same time, relating to your client is is, is utterly important. I think three, we talked about it is 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 add value by showing you're an expert in your field,
0: mm. bringing
1: information that provides value to that person, whether you're selling widgets or real estate or hamburgers. That provides value and gives you a differentiating factor from a commodity-driven process that we all are in. Any salesperson is a commodity, right? And I yeah. think number four, when I look at this, what's another thing is is your overall appearance, right? Be in a position where you appear to be professional enough that someone would trust you with whatever they're looking to do, whether it's purchase, whether it's um, whether it's lend you money, whatever that is, your appearance matters, and I think that appearance factor is something that we discount so often because a lot of folks, you know, it's it's easy to dress down, it's easy to, you know, kind of take you know take your foot off the gas and 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 not take care of yourself. But I think physical and mental appearance to the outside world is super important. So. I really pride myself in making sure that I stay in physical shape, that my mind is always working, that I'm always in clothes that are, you know, I, I work every day. So I'm always in business, casual attire, and that I'm presenting myself in a way if someone were to sell something to me that showed up in the dress that I was wearing in the attire I'm wearing, I would feel comfortable. And I think that's an important factor. And and number five, I think is accessibility, be accessible, right. be the person that's accessible seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year until you make it to a point where you don't need to anymore. And until any of us get to that point where we can't be better, we can't progress and we can't perform at a higher level and we've mastered, which I don't think anyone has, we've mastered the ability of sales where we can't learn anything anymore right? Then that accessibility goes away. But when you sell anything, accessibility is one of the most important factors. Otherwise you're going to go to the next guy
0: or gap. Absolutely. And even if you make Mm -hmm. it to the top and you've got this thriving business, one of the ways to keep it is to be accessible. You can set a little bit more parameters. Yeah, you uh, have
1: to, right? To your point, right? mm -hmm. Accessibility is super important, but I think one thing is, and and I'm learning it now. And I think one thing uh, is that at the end of the day, there's a point where accessibility of too, or too much accessibility is a negative. And I think you've got to have some sort of stigma attached to yourself where people feel like it's a pleasure or a privilege to get you in front of them. And that's where the nostalgia starts to kick in. Does that make sense? So if they feel like that, there's such a value for you to be there, then at the end of the day, I feel like at the end of the day, they're going to pay a premium for your services and they're going to be Absolutely. more likely to give you.
0: So going back to point four, you were talking about, you know, uh, if you're dressed business casual, somebody comes to sell you something dressed similarly, there's kind of a bond there. I was at this event uh, a couple of years ago, and there's a nervous-looking cop. He's got, like, the state trooper kind of outfit on, and he's just looking nervous. And so I go over to him, and I suspect he's going to go on stage in a moment. Uh, So I go there and say, you know, hey, what's going on? He goes, oh. I'm going to go on stage, do a presentation, feeling a little nervous. So I kind of help him get grounded because, you know, that's what I do as well. And as we're chatting, this guy is a detective. And we're talking about interrogations and how to get confessions. And the guy says, you know, if they grab a trucker and uh, he's in the interview room, I'll go home and I'll get dressed in jeans and a T-shirt and come in and sit with this guy and just build great rapport with the guy and he'll unburden himself very, very easily. If it's a banker, I go home and I dress up in a suit, come in looking really sharp. And there's something about having people at the same frequency Level. as you.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, a, it's a known fact, right? People want to do business with people that are similar to them. And if you and can't-
0: essentially understand them. You understand. You're my right. brother. You understand me. Yeah.
1: Right. You understand me. I have a trust. I entrust you- I I I want to work with you. We speak the same language. We understand each other. We're we're on the same level. We're in the same frequency. And I think it's important to realize when you're a salesperson, you've got to understand when you should abort the mission as well. I think there's situations where there are going to be situations in the future or in the present or have been in the past where that form of frequency does not match up. And that transaction is going to be a disaster because the two frequencies do not relate, right? right. They, just, they just don't match up. And I think I've had that happen to me in the past. And I think aborting that mission is a very difficult thing when you want to sell and you want to go out there and crush and, and, and perform at a high level. But at the same time, it takes away some of the stress that's going to happen in the future.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, some of the deals that I've made where it's been challenging, where the person's really and uh, just forcing it through, like not forcing them to buy something, but just sticking with it. Where the internal compass is saying, "Abort, abort, abort." This is going to be a right. troublesome client. And sometimes, we're, when we're younger and dumber, we just kind of go through it and stick with it. And then we're so sorry right. you got them as a client.
1: Right. I mean, and that happens. It happens. It happens to everyone.
0: So. Kyle, as you're, uh, I'm going to use the term treading water only. uh, uh, Something you articulated at the beginning of our interview is we're all prepped, ready to go. This market's going to change and pick up. And when are we ready to just uh, take off? So, how do you keep your troops, the people that you're leading, uh, from uh, losing a level of confidence or certainty? So, part of the leader is to basically uh, get them to suspend their fear so they go on the journey with you, especially in tough times. That's what you need. So how are you doing that?
1: I work harder now than I've ever worked. And I I'm more proactive now than I've ever been. And we're more on the offense than on the defense. And we're out there trying to proactively gain relationships, build business, build sellers, build buyers, get systems in place, diversify our income, grow 13 streams of income, have different businesses running at the same time, give opportunities for our staff to bring in different deals and different investment opportunities. We're doing development stuff. We're doing flip stuff. We're doing rental stuff. We're doing, we've got 285 agents. So by showing my staff that I will not lose, I will not quit. They will follow suit by having a, a a mentality of win at all costs in the sense of not by, hurting anyone, screwing anyone, but doing what it takes on my moral compass to be better than what I was yesterday and better tomorrow than what I was today, I think that that becomes, through osmosis, somewhat contagious.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. It kind of reminds me of somebody... I remember watching The Flintstones. It was like a million years ago, the show. And there was this phrase in it uh, where uh, Fred Flintstone is... uh, trying to figure out how to be a business guy. So it's like, you know, uh, buy low and sell high was his thing. And I just heard it from a different point of view uh, just recently, because I had that cliche in my head as well. It -hmm. was like, when you're buying low, what that really means is the rest of the market is dumping this stock or they're walking away from it. And so it takes courage to go in and buy at that time. And when everybody is, uh, the market's really expanding and you get a sense of it's reached the peak, everybody is still buying and that's when you uh, jump off. So it takes courage to do that. It's not so simple as buy low, sell high. So you doubling down and working harder now, uh, a model is the behavior you want from your people, but also uh, provides hope and certainty to them as well, right?
1: It's, it's a major contrarian play. Yeah, It's a huge contrarian play, and I've lived my whole life being a contrarian. I've, I've always believed... No, you haven't.
0: Well, Sorry, I was being a contrarian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've always believed that when everyone goes one way, I should go the other way. Yeah. Because if, if it were that easy and everyone could do it, there's a reason why everyone's not successful. There's a reason why everyone's not billionaire with a B. There's a reason why... Everyone doesn't own multiple successful businesses. So at the end of the day, it's that contrarian mindset that you have to have sometimes to allow you to differentiate yourself from the pack.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to take a sharp left turn before we end our uh, session today. Uh, how valuable are Google reviews? Super you valuable.
1: Review, reviews are... We're actually hiring a new Google business person uh, this week coming up because my Google page, my business, that whole spiel and, and, and that whole section of the business becomes more and more valuable as time goes on, as people become more and more astute to how important reviews are. So at the end of the day, Google reviews, Yelp reviews, Ya reviews, Zillow reviews, all that stuff is in, the, in the, uh, is going to indicate how successful you are going to be in the future. So when Joe homeowner goes on the mar- goes on to look at uh, real estate agents and they see Peter has 10 reviews, Kyle has 400 reviews, Kyle's a 4.9 star, Peter's a 3.5 star, there's a way better chance they're going to work with me. So Google reviews are are integral parts of your business no matter what you're doing.
0: So uh, your best guess uh you mentioned 200 and some odd agents. Do they work with you or with you? Like, I
1: own a brokerage that has 285 agents.
0: Okay. So that, this gives you a good snapshot into this. So uh, out of those agents that do transactions, what percentage of transactions actually get a review written? Because sometimes we have the best of intentions. Kyle, yeah, I'm going to write you a review. And some, you know, life gets in the way. I'm
1: 25. moving.
0: 25%. Okay. Are most of those uh, transactions done in your office or at coffee shops or title companies?
1: Uh, They're mostly in the They're mostly at title companies.
0: Okay, good to know. I'm working on a project to you know how to up that number uh, from twenty-some odd percent to like eighty percent. It should be should be hundred percent, absolutely, and yeah, how to make that happen, and uh, uh, as it comes into so we're launching a kiosk that'll be sitting at the title company or the real estate office where when the transaction's done and people at the height of their experience, of Oh my God, we got this house. Just walk them over to the kiosk, press a button. It, uh, records a 30 second video testimonial or a minute transcribes it and lets the user post it as a Google review right there. And then with the agent, plus you guys get a video of that testimonial that goes on social media and on Google Maps. Well, I'm going so to that- give you another
1: well, I'm going to give you another component that throws that over the top for you.
0: Tell me you figure please,
1: a, you figure a way to give them a $5 coupon or a $10 coupon as a closing gift or a 20 when they do the review they get their closing gift. You figure the out gift. a way to have the closing gift be some sort of visa card or some sort of credit that when they do the review, I would I'd be interested in partnering with you on this cuz I have some good ideas on this. How if they do if they actually do a review, they then the the they then get a, a fifty dollar or hundred dollar closing gift credit uh, for their choice to do whatever they want with it.
0: Yeah, we could. Uh, it'd be easy to do an Amazon. Everybody uses Amazon. Correct. All right, brilliant, Kyle. Uh, what's the question I didn't ask you? But as we wind down, what's the question I should have asked you that I did not?
1: I I honestly I don't have any other questions. right now. <laughs> I've got to jump to another meeting. So as you know, my schedule is insane. I'm interested in what you just talked about. If you have any interest to pursue it further, let me know. I love doing this stuff. You guys, thank you all for listening. Hopefully your viewers found this interesting.
0: Take a call. Go sell something. Talk later, man. All right, partner. Bye. Bye. Leave this thing turned on. And If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And If you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's gonna teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results.